It's been very violent, very violent to to be black and to grow up in a home, you know, with the Maltecos who are also hating um, of a blackness. And there is always this. Uh, my my dad's, you know, he's he's black, and he. My mom was just like, like when my dad left us, like the whole family was like, yeah, because he's black. Wow. Like, there was already like a this negative connotation. Per- connotation and perception of like, yeah, you don't date black men, and this is what happens when you have babies with a black man. So it was like we wow. felt like a disgrace, you know. And so you know, even my mom felt like she made a big mistake for you know falling in love with the black man. What's good, podcast fam? This is Donovan, and welcome to another episode of Stranger Fruit. We are so happy you are here to listen to the first installment of our three-part series exploring Latinidad. What does it mean to be Latino enough? If you don't already know, Stranger Fruit is a -a one-of-a-kind video podcast experience where you get to be a fly on the wall as some of the most brilliant young voices from the black and brown diaspora bring you unfiltered, thought-provoking conversations. We discuss and debate an array of fascinating topics from politics and race to pop culture, media, and the music that moves us. We may not always agree, but we are firm believers that conflict and compassion are a great recipe for empathy. And if you find yourself wanting to put a face to these names and voices, you can find us on YouTube in all our Technicolor glory. That's right. Hola, mi gente. I'm Constanza Eliana, and you already got a tiny taste of today's episode topic where we asked our Latino panel, what makes you Latino enough? This is a topic of discussion that has been trending all over social media and something that I found both really fascinating, but also filled with a lot of misinformation and wild opinion. And that leads us to the important conversation about anti-Blackness, which I feel has been typically ignored in the Latino enough discussion. Y'all know I'm Boricua and was raised in Puerto Rico, so being Latina was never in question for me. But in the U.S., conversations around identity become really complicated. Everyone seems to have an opinion on who is what and how they should identify racially and ethnically. So this conversation is very much a diaspora-specific discussion, but an important one to tackle for sure. Yes, it is. I have always been so curious about the Latino experience, especially when it comes to race and queerness. So getting into this topic has put me in nerd overload. I love it. We believe it is so important to take time to understand people's lived experiences to gain insight of how identity shapes a person's perspective and reality. Now, with that being said, remember, opinions are not facts. So as you're listening to today's episode, keep that in mind. We encourage you to do your own research. Today's panel is very racially diverse. Michelle identifies as a Black Latina. Jose is non-binary brown Latino. And Daisy is today's resident Blanquita Chola. So we were really able to cover a lot of nuance in this conversation. We first began this episode covering our thoughts on the racial implications and complications in Latino culture. We spoke on everything from what it feels like to embrace the color of your skin to unlearning the internalized racism we grew up with. This conversation will be affirming for some, but also triggering for others, so please take care as you listen in. And just a heads up, we do at times speak Spanish in this episode, so if you would like to see the translation of what is being said, please go check out the video version on our YouTube channel. Okay, vamos! 
my name is Constanza Ediana. I am so excited to be in the studio here in Los Angeles again with my beautiful panelists today. We are talking about what it means to be Latino enough. This is a conversation that I'm seeing a lot on Instagram in particular, but really all over TikTok, mm -hmm. Instagram, YouTube is all over this. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's very much a topic for diaspora kids, right? Like people who live outside of their home countries, outside of Latin America or Caribe, we have a very particular experience living outside of our home country. So I really wanted to have this conversation today. I'm so excited that y'all are here. I'm gonna introduce our panelists for you today. Um, we have Jose Richard Aviles. He is an artist and urban planner, born and raised in South Central LA and the host of Fruta Fresca podcast and your favorite, Tia Desmadrosa. <laughs> Welcome. We also have Michelle Morales. She is a bilingual school psychologist and creative healing artist who utilizes movement as a tool for healing and self-empowerment. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yes. And we have Daisy Romero. She is an entrepreneur based out of San Diego and Tijuana, Mexico, and the founder of accessories brand El Cholos Kid. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so I definitely wanted to get the conversation started around really Latinidad because that's kind of what it boils down to, right? Mm -hmm. Are you Latino enough if you don't speak Spanish? Are you Latino enough if you're a certain skin tone? Are you Latino enough if whatever, name your thing. We represent all different skin tones, all different racialized identities. And that was really important to me for this episode because Again, I feel like we are so stereotyped and there's so much xenophobia around Latinos in general in the United States in particular, mm -hmm. that it was really important for me to have as many <laughs> people that actually mm -hmm. represent our countries. And so anti-blackness mm -hmm. is a thing <laughs> in Latinidad, whether people want to admit it or not, whether I they- I don't know what you're talking about. There's always like the one like white person who's like, I don't know what you're talking about. What my, do you fam mean? my family of four people is actually like really inclusive right. and I like <laughs> don't get it. Right. Like, right. Okay. right. Like, about my tia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And uh, again, like this whole idea of I don't see color, I don't see race, I don't see anti-blackness. That's not me. That is not just for white Americans. That is very much living in Latino culture. So I want to talk about that because I feel like I have talked a little bit on my platform about how I have been learning to dismantle anti-blackness within myself and my family and culture and friends. But I want to hear what it's like for you all because, again, we are all different skin tones. We all have a different relationship with anti-blackness. So what does that look like for us? Maybe, Daisy, we'll start with you. The perpetrator. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I think it, um, it's... <laughs> She's kidding. She's kidding. <laughs> for the Don't trolls in the comments. comments. <laughs> I'm like, you know, they're going to cut that part right there and be like the that, TikTok. That's how she right gets there. me. That exactly. That's how she gets me. I'm like, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> um, no, I just think it's like people like to pretend it's because anything you say, people take personally. They it's like, oh, there's, you know, there's anti-blackness in Mexico. I'm not. The, it's <laughs> yeah. like, I, I, we're talking about, like, things in general. I'm yeah. not going after you and your grandmama. And, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. your mommy wasn't. 
I yeah. don't know your business, but generally, yeah, I yeah. walk through a market. Guerita, guerita. I was like, I can mejorar la raza. I can. That, everyone. Mm. I yeah. can mejor, ay, pero, you know, that's always, if people say that that's not something they heard, you are Lies. either, you're a liar. Deaf, you're lying. <laughs> I don't, I don't know yeah. what's Damn. happening, but that's a real thing. And even mm. amongst the cousins, you know what I mean? There's the light skinned ones and there's the darker ones. No te pongas en el sol You know what I mean? It's heinous and it does affect, um, it affects the way people are treated. It affects, I mean, just look at the novelas. Mm -hmm. Who's the protagonista? Mm -hmm. The beautiful white skinned, like. Oh, La Blanquita. Who's the maid? With the straight hair, always straight hair. Straight hair mm -hmm. and the maid. You know, we, we grew up, at least watching Mexican novelas, it was always like the Afro-Mexicans were always, uh, and I don't remember the name of the actor, but it was always like the, you know, the work, like mm -hmm. a very poor person. Like they, they never, it, it was never shown as somebody who was darker skinned in a lead. Right, or, or successful. Or successful. It was always like, oh, the poor person over there. Or, like, the, or they're the, also mm -hmm. like the brujo. Uh -huh. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah that, like, yeah, that's the one, yeah. or whatever. You know who did a really good job portraying this? Roma. Do y'all remember the movie yeah. Roma? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, broke my freaking heart, but it was such a great depiction of the relationship that we have with caste in our culture, where los blanquitos son the successful ones. They're the ones with the big house, with the nanny, with the this, with the cars, with the everything. And then the workers, the babysitter, the nanny, the chef, the whatever, the school teachers, those are all the ones that are darker skinned. Yeah. And the that movie just did such a good job of portraying not only what it looks like, but what it feels like and the consequences mm -hmm. that has for people in their real lives. Mm -hmm. Like it's not just a thing that we talk about. It has real consequence. And even, sorry, like, but even like the actress. Yes. Yalitza. Yeah, Yalitza, mm -hmm. when she went to the Oscars, Mexican media, ay, como se viste mm -hmm. así? Mm -hmm. Ay, parece India. Mm -hmm. Bro, what? What? Exactly. And you're like, yeah. because. They're the, it's like the first ones like bringing you down and like, yep. and, and attacking, you know. Pero like, yo no soy racista. No, no, no I'm just saying. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one of, que se veía feita. No, yeah. es que no soy racista, mm -hmm. pero es que that's the yeah yeah it's real big it's like huge i can think of, i think my first experience in sort of understanding the politic of my skin and my melanin was maybe i don't remember but i was young girl out of costco not out of costco <laughs> <laughs> uh, but i remember very much so and i'm grateful for this person but i remember i think i was gonna go get like a shirt or something and i remember having a conversation with my mom and be like no no esa no not that one because se va a ver mal porque estoy moreno mm -hmm. like i'm making this implication that certain colors were not good for me because of my skin tone. Mm. And then it, this, this older gentleman heard me and comes up to my mom and goes, do you mind if I tell them something? And my mom's like, no, go ahead. <laughs> and then they looked at me and said, never say that again. Because mm. you as a brown person, you have sazon in your mm. skin. You have mm. flavor. And I just remember that mm. moment being so integral to being like, fuck, okay, cool. Let me <laughs> unpack that, you know? And it was I was so young. And I think since that, I mean, the whole like, 
tortas, a poner prieto, or like mm -hmm. a, a bean. The, and you know what the funny thing is? Like, I feel like in my family, I'm seen as the darker one. But I'm like, girl, mm -hmm. in like in a box of crayons, if we were to put ourselves <laughs> like that, my sister be next to me, not like three colors <laughs> now. So I'm like, what is the difference between my brown and your brown? Like, it's, yeah. what, what? So I always feel like, and on top of that, mm, jota. Salió queer también la más prieta. Puro eh, problema, puro you. Problema, <laughs> yo, puro problema, la casa. And so I think it was one of those things of like, I caught up, I equate my queerness with my brownness because so much of my queer identity, it's like, it's in me. It's a part of me. It's part of the design of who I am. And I think for the longest, I considered my skin tone and my melanin as something that was external to me. Mm -hmm. Something that I could change, something I could morph, either by mm -hmm. not wearing sunblock or by mm -hmm. wearing sunblock. And now I'm at a point where I'm like, nah, my brownness is like my queerness. They're a part of me. They're my design. And I think in this whole conversation as well, as we're trying to find back genealogy and where we come from and ancestors. Which and is so trendy right now. Exactly. <laughs> and I don't want to do 23 in me. I don't like, I'm a little mm -hmm. bit paranoid around like, don't, girl, don't be you know, like I'm going to catch all my family members <laughs> who did crime. <laughs> 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 and I'm in a place right now where I feel that I read a little poem about this. It's like I lost you centuries ago and I know that I will never find you in this lifetime. But at least I can say that I started in this one. Mm -hmm. and, and it's a thing of my... Uh, que poeta. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you so good. Just thinking of like, I feel like I'm reconciling with my ancestors. They're here. Like I can't, mm -hmm. I cannot get away from it. And I love that so much. And I feel like now I'm learning to really appreciate the way that the brownness of my skin glows when it's all sweaty mm. in the sun. It's mm -hmm. like it's beautiful and it's like I'm a reflection <laughs> of Earth, bitch. Like, what's up? I know where I come from. It's soil. Like, I don't know about you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I feel like it's been a lot of that. But like similar to you were saying, Daisy, right? I'm going to keep it hella real. I don't know what was worse in my family growing up if I brought another male partner or if I brought a black partner. Mm. Like, to that's be real. real. You know what I mean? Like, in a lot of families, that's so real. Yeah. With my mom, and maybe this is why I was called Malinche. So growing mm -hmm. up, one of my nicknames was Malinche, and Malinche mm -hmm. is super dope. Y'all should look her up. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I was seen as a traitor to the desire of my people because mm -hmm. most of my former partners had been white men. Mm -hmm. And so folks are like, you only desire whiteness, which I think there was some truth to that, mm -hmm. to be real. And then we unpacked that. And now I think about it, and I think some of the stem of it would have been that, like, my mom, may have not been okay with my queerness, but she may have tolerated if I brought a white partner mm. as opposed oh, to shit. I'm bringing a black woman. You see what I'm saying? Mm. So it, 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 it was this interesting because a common denomination You're saying too much. You're <laughs> all the secrets. I, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But I think it, it, in that processing of what is it now? And I don't know. I feel like there's still constant unpacking all the time. Jose is going in, y'all. Okay, so listen to this. In a 2020 Pew Research Center Census Bureau-style survey, 3 in 10 Afro-Latinos selected white as their race, 25% chose black, and 23 selected some other race. An additional 16% chose two or more races. This is fascinating to me, Ileana. I totally agree. But you know, anything that is American or census-styled is going to be skewed. Let's just be real. Because race in the U.S. isn't the same as it is in the Caribbean or Central or South America. U.S. researchers never account for the way that blanqueamiento has affected the way our culture views race. 
For example, mulatto versus mestizo are two different but similar race identifiers we have all grown up with that might still affect the way that people identify in the U.S. But, of course, proximity to whiteness is definitely a thing in our culture. Yes, that's so true. We actually touched on this in our latest biracial versus black series, and Taleo highlighted this in our Unity in POC episode as well. Yes, thanks for that reminder. Of course. And you know, when Jose began talking about his experience, it really brought me so much validation because these are topics that are incredibly rare to talk about in our culture. What most non-Latinos typically miss when speaking on Latino issues is just how involved colonization is in our customs and relationships. Yes, Latin America was colonized by multiple European countries hundreds of years ago, but they never left back to Europe. They remained and made all of the rules, changed all the traditions, and married into our families. So for generations, colonialism has remained. And that's the dynamic that Jose is speaking to here. He's not ignoring the elephant in the room that we all know is there, but never seem to acknowledge. Whoa, yo, colonization is such a bitch. This is fascinating. Let's get back to Jose. For me now, especially as someone who's been doing like organizing for such a long time, like anti-racist work is no longer enough if we're not talking about like pro-black liberation. Mm -hmm. And I know that I benefit from it because a lot of the shit that I was told about my brown skin, like I can understand anti-blackness via colorism, Mm -hmm. right? Because the darker I got, the more proximity I had to blackness. So the common denominator was that blackness was not okay. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like now that I'm I'm older, I'm like, no, anti-racism work is not enough, but pro-black liberation is the work that needs to happen because I know that's where I benefit from too. And not that my end goes, I'm going to get the benefit, so this is what I should do. But it's like, no, it's the atoning for that harm atones for so many other harms too. And I just got to find my place within my power and privilege to get closer to that. It's supporting black organizers black artists it's having the hard conversations it's why i'm taking this class on racism and class and xenophobia in spanish Mm -hmm. because now i have a language now i can understand the lie that is mestizaje Mm -hmm. and why my mom operates in the way that she does and my other family members as well and just latinidad in general so it's always about unlearning and striving to be better for sure i mean like we're gonna make mistakes a lot of times people love to talk about boundaries but a lot of times we forget that we don't know what boundaries are until we cross them And then you have to have some sort of like compassion and reconciliation to say, do not cross it again. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm, that's where mm -hmm. the harm happens. Right. In my opinion. Yeah. And sometimes you need that oh shit moment to be like, oh, I got some real work to do. I mean, you know. Okay. The last thing I'll add, I'm going to be hella transparent. I grew up in South Central. Mm -hmm. So even as we were talking about, Daisy, you mentioned like Latinos being different at the border than Latinos here in LA. Like Latinos in East LA are very different than Latinos in South Central Mm -hmm. because in LA, in East LA, you might have like maybe second, third generation Latinos. That's where the Spanglish comes from. That's the Mm -hmm. essay. You know what I mean? I grew up legit like learning. Ebonics first mm-hmm. in Spanglish because it was the product that I that I grew up in. And so especially with the whole like, you know, black fishing and black sense and stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't think I I don't do that, but it's like I grew up in South Central. Like I grew up listening to Biggie and Dr. Dre and Nas at the same time that I was listening to Vicente Fernandez and Juanga. Mm-hmm. Like I was out here claiming the projects, thinking it was some beautiful thing. Like I'm from the jungles, man. <laughs> you know what's up? And then be like, oh shit, okay, the jungles. You know, I know what it is, you know. And that was in elementary school. All that to say that, I mean, full transparency, like, I grew up saying the N-word. 
you know, I'm not going to wow. shy away from it and lie because mm-hmm. it's true. And I think as I got older, I understood more the political implications of that word and realized mm-hmm. it wasn't my place to say it in my diaspora to say it, you know. And so now I, I hear that, I understand that, but also realize, like, I know where I come from. And for sure, I grew up saying the N-word mm-hmm. with other folks who identify as Latinos mm-hmm. and other black folks because we grew up, you know, together. together. And so I think now definitely understand that. But, you know, I only say that to say that it, it's possible. You just kind of unlearn. And just like you said, like, mm-hmm. live your life. Like, there's bigger, bigger battles at mm-hmm. work. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. right. World War Three, holla. <laughs> and learn that yeah. you're actually causing harm, you know? That like, part. Because that's, to what I, especially with all the TikTok warriors or whatever of the, of the kids like oh that they don't speak spanish or you know they've Mm -hmm. never been to like x country or whatever and it's like maybe yeah and again like you said full transparency when you're younger you because you only relate things to like your own experience you're like like i would say i wonder why they don't speak spanish it would be like it would be kind of like oh, I wonder why they don't want to speak Spanish Mm -hmm. in that kind of way. Because you're like, oh, that's kind of, you know. That's weird. Yeah, that's weird that they don't (laughs) want to. But my experience is so different. You know, my mom was like, she said to me with words, si no hablas español, no vienes a México. A mí no me vas a dejar en ridículo. (laughs) 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 not playing with anything. So I thought that was everyone's experience. But, you know, you don't, as you grow up and you learn, you say like, oh, like, People are living paycheck to paycheck. Why? How? Who's going where? You know what I mean? Who's what? What country are they visiting to like? Or some people are growing up in a community and they don't. Maybe they for survival they need to like fit in and you know and adjust and do whatever they need to do and Mm -hmm. Spanish or whatever language is not part of that equation. You know, assimilation is such a big assimilation of it. And and the way that you know you're talking about like the environment that you grew up in and everything like that. We just recently did a show on Stranger Fruit about whether or not non-black people of color should say the N-word, why they're saying the N-word. And I told a little bit about my story of like the N-word is something that I had to learn because I grew up and was raised in Puerto Rico. That is not a word (laughs) in Puerto Rico. And so when I came to the United States, started learning English, Uh, the way that I speak English right now is a product of who taught me to speak English. My parents spoke with an accent. I don't have an accent. So that means I was taught English by predominantly the television, my very white school teachers, (laughs) and the people that I grew up with. And so I think the way that some people choose to assimilate and the way that they're taught to assimilate can kind of coincide in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the conversations that hopefully we'll have on on Stranger Fruit 2 in the future is around Gen Z and the relationship to slang Mm -hmm. when it really comes from the black community Mm -hmm. and how they really just want to keep saying that slang and really adopt it as like a Gen Z thing when it really comes from black culture. And it's being utilized as like this trendy, cool, like this is this is how we say things now. You know who I think are the people to blame the most about that? Oh, gay white <laughs> say men. it though, say it. it. Girl, gay white men is to queer liberation as Karen is to racial liberation. Mm-hmm. And feminism. And feminism, mm-hmm. 100%. Like gay white men in particular, I always say I'd rather be the only queer person in a space full of people of color than to be the only person of color in a gay white men's space. Mm. Always. Because I'm like, uh-uh, you, nope, we ain't going through that. You know what I mean? And to, to what you were saying, I love how you expressed that, like, that assimilation we choose to do and the forced assimilation. Because similar to you, Daisy, my mom was like, no, 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 baby. 
eres el más indio de la casa. You're the brownest of us all. You gonna learn Spanish. Mm -hmm. And so I was put in a bilingual immersion program so I learned how to read and write in both English and Spanish at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, like, I think a lot of the times folks, the discourse is like, let's not invalidate people who can't speak Spanish. Let's not invalidate people's Latinidad for not being able to speak Spanish. I take a lot of pride in being able to speak Spanish very well. Not only like a conversational Spanish, but now an academic Spanish in the sense of like when I go to Mexico, I've also adopted, but that's a whole conversation about like biculturalism. You're a fresa now. Vemos, vemos. Yo soy la gringa, pero joteo más en chilango. Sí, joteo más en chilango. Like I've learned to really like adopt Mexico City accent that people who are from Mexico and they hear me speak Spanish and they're like, ¿Es la ciudad de México? And I'm like, pues sí, de la colonia, you know? And it's cute because I think it just allows me to pass in certain ways and it helps me because then on top of that one being foreign and then being queer it's mm -hmm. like too double much. The, too much so I'm <laughs> like let me just at least pass culturally mm -hmm. and then we can unpack the homophobia together and mm -hmm. it's better to deal with one oppression than twice mm -hmm. two three four at the same time you're like oh shit hold on you know <laughs> agarrame taking um, me for a ride <laughs> right and, and, yeah and I think for me the most important thing and why I say all that is because I grew up in a Salvadorian household Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's because of the machismo that that is my father's home country. So he was the one that dictated the cultural upbringing in the house. Mm -hmm. But my mom still made mole and pozole mm -hmm. and like the traditional Mexican dishes for us. So we would also be, you know, Mexican and have that a part of us. And recently, I, I think I lean more into the Mexican side of me because it's honoring my mother. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, we got daddy issues to process anyway. <laughs> and I'm like, even though I haven't been to El Salvador, Right, like I, I feel one hundred percent Salvadorian mm -hmm. because I grew up in it. I know the fucking Salvadorian national mm -hmm. anthem, and I don't know the Mexico one mm -hmm. because I was watching. Yeah, so you know, it's so complex. But yeah, no, for sure. And Michelle, I want to hear from you. Like, you're Guatemalan and Jamaican. Mm -hmm. So the relationship with anti-Blackness and Latinidad on the Guatemalan side mm -hmm. has to be fairly unique because from what I know of Jamaicans, they very much embrace their Blackness mm -hmm. and they're very proud of that. But what's it like on the Guatemalan side? Like, what was that like for you growing up? Oh, well, it was tough. I mean, as we were starting the conversation, I'm glad that I went last because I, I had to process some grief. I was like drinking water. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I wanted to cry. And I was like, Whoo! I feel you. Um, well, I grew up in a single parent home, so my primary language was Spanish. And so I got all the stuff from like my mom. I didn't get to experience a Jamaican culture mm -hmm. or what it, it's like to embrace my blackness because that wasn't a thing. I mean, I didn't get to a, a embrace my blackness and mm -hmm. my family. I experienced racism the moment I came into the world. So that's why it's, it's really hard for me and I'm going to probably let myself cry here. <laughs> like, it's really tough because um, the self-hatred mm -hmm. that you... I'm still working through that for myself. Like, I had to recently... Um, sit with, oh, wow, I actually still hate being black. Wow. I still hate being black um, at the time. Right now I'm, you know, in a different place. But I had to be with that because I thought that I had worked through that because of how successful I've been. I have a master's degree. I, I've, you know, started my own business. I'm 
consider myself, you know, a pretty amazing person in all the ways. And so I thought that I had worked through that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I created a program on changing the way that you relate to yourself to create, you know, a better self in a better world. So and I hadn't been with the grief or with the pain of what I've experienced growing up in a home that was so dismissive and violent towards blackness, you know, starting with my mom and noticing like my bro I have a twin brother um, and he's darker than me. Mm. And I, I learned early on that I was like better off because I wasn't as dark as him. Mm. And, um, and the violence and the rejection that he experienced from my mom and from my family was just very traumatic. So I have a lot of PTSD around blackness. And so I obsess over blackness and what it means for me to be black and what it means for me to have friends. And, what, and you know, for a moment, I judged that because I was like, everyone has moved on. You know, a lot of people have moved on from that word. And it's like there's an impact there for black people still. Yeah. I mean, at least for me as a black person. And it's hard to see that because I'm like, hey, no, there's still so much impact here. Yeah that you know I'm sorting through and and my brother and so with all that to say it's been very violent to to be black and to grow up in a home you know with the Maltecos who are also hating of a blackness and my dad's you know he's he's black and he my mom was just like like when my dad left us like the whole family was like yeah because he's black Wow. Like there was already like a this negative connotation. connotation and perception of like, yeah, you don't date black men. And this is what happens when you have babies with a black man. So it was like we wow. felt like a disgrace, you know, even my mom felt like she made a big mistake for falling in love with the black man. And so there was this constant self-hatred growing up. So I hated hmm. being in this body and in this skin, you know, and. I found myself trying to fix myself in many ways, like, you know, accepting like that or, or trying to be white without knowing it or being closer to, to whiteness without knowing it and noticing that I'm missing out on myself. You know, I'm missing out on the magic that I bring and the medicine that I bring. Um, and so those that, that started very little by little. But recently I had that moment like, fuck. I need to be with this for a moment because then there is no forward without grieving that. So for me, I knew I had hit something big. Mm -hmm. Like I was excited I, and I was sad. Like I was crying and I was yeah. like, fuck, but I was like, I, I need this. Mm -hmm. I need, I need to see this. I need to be with this. Michelle is trying to get me to cry. <laughs> wow. She was so vulnerable in that moment. I couldn't help but to empathize with the sobering realization she had over the reality of her blackness. And the weight of that, that shit is so deep. The idea that no matter what you do, you cannot outrun your blackness and what it means to society and even your family. I completely agree. Michelle, to me, embodied the emotion of what it feels like to grow up in a culture that completely ignores race. It has real effects on people, and she so beautifully explained what her journey has been. Jose and Daisy also spoke to language and anti-Indigenous sentiments, which is so intertwined with anti-blackness even if her culture doesn't always see it that way. I completely agree. And later on, she's going to speak to how that affected the way she views herself worth even as an educated woman. So I did some research and found this. Afro-Latinos actually have higher education levels than non-Black Latinos in the U.S. 26% of Afro-Latinas completed a college degree compared to 18% of non-Black Latinas, which is a major accomplishment 
but it does go to show how anti-blackness will have you think otherwise, okay? Absolutely. And later, I also mentioned a study that we should put into context as well. In the 1940s, Black American psychologists Kenneth and Mammy Clark conducted a series of experiments where they had identical dolls, different only in color, and asked Black children which doll that they preferred. Their study found that two-thirds of the children preferred the white doll to one of their own race. And in 2010, the study was recreated with Black and white children using cartoons instead of dolls, but had very similar outcomes of preference towards lighter skin tones. So when you hear us reference this later on, keep that study in mind. Yes, I love the link you made, and those studies are eye-opening. All right, let's get back into it. So luckily I have, you know, people that I trust that can hold me in that. And um, it's like I had to acknowledge little Michelle, Mm. little black girl Michelle, right? And so my friend, um, when I told my friend where I was at and what was coming up for me, um, they decided to read me a book on blackness, you know. So it was like this friend and me, it makes me so emotional because it healed a part of me that I was like, oh, my God, they're loving the part of me the little black girl in me that I'd never got that love. Yeah. Even though I knew my mom loved me, right? Like in ways that feel toxic to me, but like <laughs> still like that's the best yeah. way that she knew how to love me. But I, I felt this healing with my friend. Their name is Rue. Um, and they read this book to me and they were just like helping me. I, I mean, I don't know what they were going after this, but in that moment I just felt so held mm-hmm. as little black Michelle. Yeah. And so that's what's been healing, you know, having friends that are willing to be in conversation, that are willing to hear these judgments and these these ideas that I have about myself to be able to, like, unpack and discern and let go. Whew. So for me, when I talk about these things, I'm just like, oh, there's such a real impact. Yeah. You know, there's such a real impact. Like, people leave this earth because of self-hatred and self-abuse. So I'm still unpacking those things in myself, you know? Yeah. And this is a real impact that our culture and the environments that we're growing up with, whether we are black or not, is having on people. Like, because those of us who are lighter skin, we're constantly told that's better. And so Mm. you grow up with the sense of like grandiose about yourself. Oh, And those of us who grow up with darker skin are constantly being told that you're less than. And that has its own consequence. That has its own impact on the people who have to just go out and live and exist in a world that's telling them that they're not enough. And these are the types of stories that we need to be talking about Mm -hmm. to give permission to those little black girls, Latina girls that are feeling like, well, damn, every time I look at the TV, I don't see myself. And then when I do see myself, I'm the maid. So like, is that all I'm worth? And, or I'm not brilliant, yeah. or I don't have, you know, nothing to bring to the... I'm just bringing my ideas to the table, but there's this fear that I have because it's never been valued. Yeah. And everyone has an idea to how to be in the world, but it doesn't include the Black voice. And even, like, our pain, right, is constantly dismissed. So it's like, I just stay quiet. And I'm just like, right. okay, move that way. Or right. go this way. Instead of, like, confronting, because it's so dangerous to confront and I'm just learning that you know and and with my friends who are who don't get it um they don't understand my pain but a lot of them aren't available to they're not emotionally available for for the complexity of that conversation and that there's another sense of abandonment there Mm -hmm. you know yeah because when they're unwilling to confront what that means about them yes and how they perpetuate anti-blackness 
that makes people very closed off. Yes. And I think that's why I have really tried to bring in non-Black people of color, in particular Latinos, into the conversation about like, you know that anti-Blackness exists, but how do you dismantle it? Because it's not enough to just be like, oh, I don't see race. I'm colorblind. You're not, though, because our culture isn't colorblind. No. And you are part of the culture. Right. Right? And so it's like you really have to learn how to set your ego aside and start to see, like, okay, this is how I perpetuate it. I'll tell you a little story. I, when I was little, I want to say maybe four years old, maybe five. Mm-hmm. Um, you know... <laughs> You know, us Latinos have like the longest fucking holiday season on earth. So <laughs> it was one of the fucking holidays. I don't remember which one where people, you know, they give you presents. And one of my uncles gave me a present and it was a doll. Mm-hmm. It was a little black doll. And at the time, I really wanted this very specific doll who was white. Mm-hmm. And because it wasn't that specific doll, I was like, I don't want it. I don't want it. This is not the doll that I wanted. And if I sit here and unpack it now, I could very easily say, no, 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 it's not because she was a black doll. It was because she was a black doll. Mm -hmm. Because every doll that I had seen previously was white. Didn't look like me either, but it was a white doll. Mm -hmm. And I wanted that doll with the blonde hair, straight, blue eyes, Mm -hmm. big, huge blue eyes. That's the doll I wanted. Mm -hmm. The black one didn't fit the ideal that I was taught to idolize. And... I said, no, I rejected the doll at four years old. And now, you know, years later, I see that there are actual studies on this, that all kids, no matter their race, will always reject the darker skinned doll and will always go for the lighter skinned doll. No matter what the race is, brown, black, Mm -hmm. indigenous, white, they always go for the white doll. And I was a a living, breathing example of that. Mm -hmm. And so I've really had to unpack, like, what does that mean? Because for me, even growing up Latina, not being white, I still idolize the white Latinos Mm -hmm. because that's what we're taught. So if we're so unwilling to go there and like go to the darkest places of our culture, we're never going to evolve as a cultura no. it's never gonna happen you know what I also think about is like I feel like in the unpacking and dismantling of internalized racism particularly around anti-blackness I still feel missed as a black person like especially for people who study anti-blackness and racism I still feel very missed because when sometimes we're so caught up in the idea of dismantling and then you when there's a black person in front of you mm-hmm. where you have opportunities to care, to ask, to be with, to go that extra mile because you value dismantling anti-blackness, th- that's not happening. Right. And that's my biggest pet peeve where I just, I'm always rolling my eyes. Yeah. Because I'm just like, you don't even know. Yeah. You don't even know. And if I bring a concern to you mm-hmm. and you don't have a, the... Um, there's often like a lack of capacity and skill to be with it. But still, like, I'm yeah. just like, you're talking all these things, but you're still here intellectual. Like, yes, you're still haven't haven't gotten in touch with your body and with what it means to care. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to care? We live in a, in a society where anti-blackness shows up in violence. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean to care and to create something different in action, but not like a take action, like really starting with your black friends. 
And if there's some of them that don't know how they're impacted or some of us, some of us are assimilated so much into the white culture, we'd rather be more white because it's safety for us, right? Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes there's that. Like, you talk to a black person, they're like, uh, what? That doesn't exist with me or they don't... Right. They don't they experience don't ownership. right ownership, or maybe they don't experience like you know racism in ways that we know it yes. exists because of you know everyone d- uh, grows up in a different environment. But still, what does it mean to be aware? Yeah. Just aware that when we're in a room in a conversation, I don't mean fight for me, but it means like oh, in this room we're likely to dismiss the black person mm-hmm. in the room. So what is it? What does it mean for me to care? Mm-hmm. Not not take action because I want to be right and good. Because we also get caught up a lot on being right and being good and yes. being pure. And yes. we use these concepts as distraction and also to to perpetuate that idea. Like, you see, I'm good. I'm studying all these things. Yeah. I know about anti-racism and anti-blackness. But the black person brings a concern and you're like, no. And They're like, girl, I work in diversity. Equity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? And yeah. I can't, that's what hurts and where I'm like, I'm done. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. To me, I think that's what it, one of my concerns is for Gen Z. Mm-hmm. Um, I posted a tweet not too long ago that said, never trust somebody who measures their success in social media. Mm-hmm. Like, the real work happens on the streets. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm so grateful for my organizing background because I learned that mm-hmm. um, in, in that regard. Because I think now what's happening is, like, with social media, we're so caught up in the codependence of mm-hmm. technology now mm-hmm. that we forgot in the body. And in the body, mm-hmm. we have neurons inside of us that are called mirror neurons. Mm-hmm. And this is a neuron that builds empathy. And mm-hmm. you'll first learn that through caretakers. But the more you disconnect from the body, remember, neurons have elasticity. So if mm-hmm. you're not working that synapse, mm-hmm. it's gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now with this constant thing of artificial intelligence, it's like, girl, mm-hmm. you can't compute empathy. You have to live empathy. <laughs> yep. Empathy is not <laughs> a, the skill you learn. It's mm-hmm. a skill you live. And so I, I, that's my constant fear of like how people are relating in that regard. And I think especially with this constant, I want to say pornography of black trauma, really, <sighs> it becomes so scripted in our bodies that mm-hmm. you become indifferent to it. Yes. And that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. The indifference. Sorry, I got hella yeah. Yeah. <laughs> indifference about it. So. so when it's in your face, just like you're saying, when it's in your face and, and a black woman or a black man is telling you what you just said hurt me or what you just did as anti-black, people are like, oh, no, not me, not me. Or you're just a victim. Yeah. You're used to being a victim. They put it back on you. And that's what you're saying. Hmm. You're saying the intellectualizing of the fact that anti-blackness is a thing that exists in the world is just a little bit of a scratch of the surface of the actual impact and the reality that we are living in. Yeah, because I always I always go back to like I'm not just a story. Yeah, mm. I'm not just an idea. Yeah, you know it's just it, it had like I'm so over like being in conversation without the realness of what happens. Even with me, right? Even for me as a as a black woman, one of the things that I've done extra for myself is be able to have the capacity. I've worked with. Um, I've been in leadership programs where I can where I can build that capacity to be with that difference of someone being like, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's been hard for me because I'm usually like, you know, you know, like I'm just like very emotional. I'm triggered. I feel like someone's about to hurt me because I grew up being attacked and targeted for being black mm-hmm. in the projects. And so all of these things I carry inside my body. But for me, I, I feel like I want to be able to be with when it's worth it for me. Mm-hmm. 
when it's like family or when it's like friends and if they're showing up a certain way, I want to be able to have the skill and the capacity to hold mm -hmm. what's happening yes. um, in the room. And, and you know, I want that. I want my friends to have, want that also for me, with me, you know, yeah. like I don't, I don't want to be the only, and I'm like, gosh, like I, I have to, even in doing that, I have to not blame myself for the ways that people react. Yes, absolutely. This conversation meant so much to me. We hope that you enjoyed it too. That's it for us today. We have part two of this three-part series dropping next week. So be sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you are listening from so that you don't miss part two of this topic where we actually dive deeper into what it means to be Latino enough. This episode was incredible. And I am so grateful to you, Ileana, and the guests for opening up and having it. It has been a mission of mine and Stranger Fruit to have conversations that call out and combat anti-blackness across communities. So I am delighted at the opportunity to highlight and learn and share with all of you. So don't forget to follow us on social media at The Stranger Fruit and let us know what you thought of today's conversation. We love hearing from you. Many people don't know that the podcast algorithm favors those with a high amount of reviews. So please be sure to let us know what you think of today's episode by leaving us a five-star review and get us in good favor with the algorithm gods. Until next time, peace. I don't use the word Latinidad um, or Latino or Latinx or Latinx or yeah. whatever. The Latinx. Because <laughs> I'm like, you're going to be mispronouncing. Don't worry. I'm not girl. You know, it's not like that. Like, what, how are you trying to pronounce it? It's Latinx, you know? <laughs> like, are we going to pronounce this in Spanish and English and Spanish? Like, and there's no consistency around that either. So it's just so much like, those aren't the real battles. Mm -hmm. Like, to me, like, I need you to take this energy around Latinx and remorphize it and support it towards the U.S. imperialist system that caused a lot of the immigration of all of a lot of our diasporas, mm -hmm. first of all.